0: Man, thank you, Doyle and the Praise Team. Those are some great songs for what we're going to be talking about. I want to do something a little different here. How many in here, raise your hand high, if you have ever met someone famous? Someone that, you know, is famous. Raise your hand high. Okay, keep keep your hand up if you're willing to tell me who it is in front of everybody. Okay, raise your hand. Okay, Uh, yeah, Roman who? Bum Phillips. Oh, I didn't know... Some of you northerners don't know who that is, but that that you're talking about the coach of the Houston Oilers. That's okay. All right, back over here. George Strait. George Strait. Okay. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, who else? Yes. Zach efron Who Zach Ephron? Sweet. That's awesome. Okay. All right, Tommy boy. George Bush. George Bush. You met George Bush. Okay. All right. That that's probably enough for now. I, I, I just wanted to get a sense that, you know, we get around, right? We get around up here. I uh, I started brainstorming the famous people that, that I've met in my life, that, you know, that I've run into here and there. I've met Kenny Smith. Some of you know who that is. He he took our Rockets to a championship, and now he works for ESPN. Andre the Giant, I ran into him at an airport and got to interact with that guy, and I wrote about him in that article. Uh, I can't remember the actress's name, some of you will, but I met Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. That's all you got to know. I met her. The, 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 get it, get it, the geeky chief head guy of the Gilligan's Island fan club was my contemporary at Harding University, and he somehow got her to come to Harding University. So I got to meet, I got to meet Mary Ann. I was supposed to meet. Uh, Speaking of past presidents, Bill Clinton, when he was governor of Arkansas at Harding, uh, I was on a team, a PR, radio, TV team that won this statewide competition for Arkansas's drunk driving, drinking and driving campaign. We won, and part of the reward was to meet the governor, but he stood us up. And then when he became president, I was really mad. I could have said I met a president, which made it very satisfying then when I later met Kenneth Starr, right? (laughs) Right? I met Kenneth Starr. He was the uncle of a, uh, of a girl in my youth group that, that I did her wedding. Charles Barkley, I met him. Ray Childress, speaking of old Oilers, some of y'all don't know him either, uh, but he was a famous Houston Oiler. And then I don't know if I pronounced his name right, but I met Damore Barnes. You may not know him, but I met him at a Christian conference, actually. He was there, and he was uh, one of the cracked soldiers in this old TV show called The Unit. I don't know if y'all remember the unit, if any of y'all got into that like I did, but it was kind of cool to meet that guy. I think now he's a police chief on some law and order show or something. But anyway, and and anyway, I could go on and on. But I'm bringing this up. You're probably going, why are you bringing this up? Well, because we are intrigued, aren't we, by that question? We're intrigued by this because inherently... We all know the difference between knowing about someone, which is the definition of famous, right? Knowing about someone versus meeting someone. We all inherently know the difference. And so uh, we're intrigued by that. So this summer, we are going to be looking at a little book of the Bible, a short five-chapter book of the Bible. And it was actually a letter, but, but we call them all books. It was written by someone who didn't just know... About the most famous person on the planet, Jesus, and he didn 't just meet him either; he was an intimate ally of his. When you read the Gospels and you read all the stories of jesus, his life and ministry, this guy was there for most of those stories and was intricately involved in a lot of those stories. He was there. He was one of the disciples of Jesus that was there. He didn't just run off and stay away. He was there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. This guy was there when he appeared. Jesus made a personal and intentional appearance to him and his guys. He was one in that crowd that did that. This guy was literally another son to Jesus' mom. At Jesus' request, he's at that cross, and he says, Son, behold your mom. Mom, behold your son. And so some of you figured out, or you remember Doyle already telling you, that that we're talking about John. We're talking about the disciple John. He wrote this little book, which, like I said, is really a letter of 1 John. It's got five chapters in it, and that's kind of a trick in reading the letters in the New Testament is you need to realize as you're reading those, you're reading someone else's mail, okay? So we don't know everything that's going on when we read these letters, whether it's Paul or Peter or John, And, and so, but you can glean kind of what's going on, and I believe the Holy Spirit allows us to glean exactly what we need to know in order to get the message from these from other people's mail. So that's what we're looking at. John wrote two other letters, uncreatively called Second John and Third John. And then he also wrote one of those four gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is significantly different than the other three. Those other three guys, they use the same source material. And there's differences, but they're very similar. John does his own thing completely. and so And we also have this idea we're Fairly confident there 's some debate that John also wrote the last book in your New Testament, and that 's revelation so we 're going to be looking at first John. John is known as the Apostle of love, and it is because of this book we 're studying this summer, a little bit from his gospel, but mostly from this book. Because he mentions it a lot. There's three things actually in the book of 1 John that he mentions a lot. And preachers love this because it's a great sermon outline. He talks about light and life and love, okay? He talks about all those and he talks about them a lot. The word light, for example, the concept of light, because he talks about darkness too, I'm counting those. He mentions that uh, like 13 times in these five chapters. So he's averaging, you know, Twice per cha- over twice per chapter. And that's nothing compared to how he uses life. He mentions the word life or some derivation of that, alive or living, 30 times in these five chapters. And, and so you know he likes this word. You know I like this word because of how I say it. I always say life. When I, you know, we're here for the best possible life. I love that word. So I love that he uses I'll be doing that today. And then, but love. Love, he mentions almost 50 times in these five chapters. This is about a hundred verses. So almost every other verse on average, he is bringing the concept of love back up. So it seemed appropriate for us to do a summer study of this particular text in a year where we have unveiled our love first vision, our new vision statement. Do you know it? Do you know it? Have you memorized it yet? We haven't mentioned it now for a while because we've been doing other family things, but we want you to know it. Love first is just our shorthand for a longer vision statement that the reason we exist as a church family, say it with me, here's your cheat sheet, we exist to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. That defines us. And I love it because First John, incidentally, happens to line up with this really well, right? So there's love, God. You know, it, we want to love first. And then becoming like Jesus, that correlates with the word life because we believe the most abundant life is the life of living like in and like Christ. We say that all the time. And then advancing his mission fits with this light, the concept of light in Scripture. Jesus literally says in his life that you are the light of the world We are to go into the world and and advance his mission as light. This also, I just think this is kind of neat, so I'm sharing it with you. It fits with our discipleship pathway, right? Love is where we connect. We want to connect with people, and we want people to connect with God, and that starts with love. That's why love is first, okay? So we love first. We grow. I mean, that's exactly the definition of what we mean by grow, is to grow up into the image of Jesus, in heart, character, mission, and priorities, and then go. So connect, grow, go, and go into the world as the light of the world. These all fit. So it, today I want to officially introduce you to the book of 1 John, and we're just going to cover the first four verses. And with that, I want to allow John to tell you in his words why he wrote this little letter. We We learn a lot about this when we look at why it was written and we don't have to guess in reading each other's in reading someone else's mail you have to do that with Paul sometimes he must be addressing this he must be addressing that there's a little of that here with John but John overtly states why he wrote this letter and he's got four reasons four reasons that we want to cover and then I want to give you a little warning as we walk into this first John this apostle of love this summer of love because that can be misleading sometimes in in our culture, what we mean by that. So he starts, not like Paul, with a little, you know, shout out, a little greeting. He doesn't start this letter like a letter. He starts very similar to how Larry showed us he started his gospel with lofty language about Jesus. And so I want you to notice as we read these first four verses, that as he's talking about, of course, you have to get past the lofty language he's using, but trust me, he's talking about Jesus. I want you to pay attention to what he's saying in these four verses. He makes a point to talk about his experience with Jesus, that it was real, that it was an experience, that he had actual Jesus contact. And just notice the sensory words that he uses as we go through these first four verses. All right, read this with me. That which was from the beginning and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, so four reasons. And I'm just going to let that preach today to set us up for the summer. Um, four reasons John says that he wrote this. And the first one is right there in that last verse. It's to make... And I'm just going to put this in the first person for you. It's to make your joy complete. I know it says our joy. I know, John, it makes it sound like John is is with somebody writing this little letter. And he's saying, I'm doing this for our joy. But he's really talking about his audience's joy. Okay? And so you've got a little notation in your Bible probably that says some of the earliest manuscripts actually use the word your so but even if it's our he's just involving himself with his community he's saying our joy this is so that our joy is complete so he is writing this so one of the purposes as we go through it, it's important for you to remember it's so that you get complete joy which we talked about in the kingdom series john unsurprisingly makes the kingdom his priority for his people that he's writing to and so that is one of the reasons you can be approaching this text over the summer is it's to increase your joy. It's to complete your joy. Isn't it great when you have somebody that's that committed to your joy? I mean, isn't it great to have somebody that is like really, really interested and will spend their life, not, not maybe just writing letters, although they'll do that, but supporting you, helping enable your dream, you know, Bailing you out when you're in trouble. They're just committed to your joy. That is how I want you to be thinking about John, because that's what he's after. He wants this group that he's writing to their joy to be complete. I had a aunt. His, her name was Aunt B, and she was my dad's mom's sister and she was the last surviving relative. I mean, my dad's still alive, but on my dad's family, and we moved her from Port Arthur, Texas to Houston, and she was in the hospital, and one day she called me. I was a youth minister in there. And she called me and said, hey, I, and she, I could feel the urgency. She needed me to come right over, so I I, I got to go, and so I went to the hospital. And I walk in, and I sit down with Aunt B, and she starts. She kind of as best she could. She's very old at this point and probably not going to last long. And she knows it. And she leans forward and she starts reporting to me a bunch of our family history. Okay. She wanted me to know about my grandmother's parents and grandparents, everything she knew. She just wanted to download it to me. And I remember just listening and listening and listening. And then she finally finished and she lied back and she goes, okay, okay. There was something in her she knew she wouldn't be around much longer, but she needed to download some things to me before it was gone, before she didn't have the opportunity to communicate that. That is the posture I feel like John has. John is elderly when he's writing this, and he's writing this to a group of Christians in various churches in an area of the, called Asia Minor, and, and he's seeing some things, and he is writing with an, a sense of urgency because he's not going to be around that long, okay? So that's, that's one of the things he wants to make sure is that they have access to the complete joy that he has had access to. And he didn't want to die without making sure they know what they need to know, which brings us to the second reason that he's writing. It is to keep you from sinning. He writes this overtly to keep you or to stop you from sinning. That was one of his agendas. How do I know that? The first verse in chapter 2. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We don't have to guess about this. This is an agenda of his. This is one of the things that's raised the alarm for him and that motivates this letter. And he knows he needs them to stop that in order for his other purpose to be accomplished. And that is for them to have complete joy. They're looking for joy or happiness or life in the wrong things. And there's some reasons for that that we glean from 1 John. But all that's important for you right now to know is that he's writing this so that you'll stop sinning. So I want to pull over here and park for a minute because here's the warning I mean before I give you the last two reasons that he's writing when we think of love in our culture even in Christian culture I think even in here and it's not entirely wrong it's just not entirely complete okay what I'm about to tell you but when we think of love we do not usually think in terms like the image coming up isn't to go and confront sin in each other When we think of the word love, our our first instinct isn't to think of even obedience to God who loves us, okay? We don't think of those things right off. We're not usually highlighting the difference between right and wrong and then calling that wrong what the Bible calls it, that it's sin. And that we're not to do it and declare What it means. We don't spend a lot of time when we think of the word love thinking, oh, they love me. So they're telling me exactly what it means if I don't stop sinning. They're telling me the consequences of that and and what that means about me if I refuse to quit sinning. We don't think of that. What we think of is grace and forgiveness and acceptance and kindness. And then some proactive things like giving. Giving or serving, or justice initiatives. Those are all appropriately under the banner of love, but those are the things we typically think of, and it's because it's not that we want to avoid talking about sin, and obedience, and calling that out, and saying that needs to stop, and pointing out what scripture says it means if you won't. It's that we, we avoid talking about it when we talk about love, because we don't want to be misunderstood or misinterpreted as if we're talking about intolerance or condemnation or judgmentalism or legalism. Now, I think that's valid. That's valid concern to have. But John is not concerned with that. Because you can talk about sin. You can confront your brother or sister specifically. You can teach about what it means if you don't stop sinning as a Christian and still be loving. You can. It is a part of love. And John is old enough and loves enough to not be as concerned as we are in our culture. And so when he says something like that, he's saying it out of love. We might tweak a little in our sensitive background that we have with this. When he says, I'm writing this so you'll stop sinning. So I'm giving you that warning that we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about it all because one of the purposes of this letter is for you to not sin. Scripture won't let us not talk about that. Okay, third, that's the warning. Third, in this summer of love, I thought maybe you might think, oh, this is going to be great, touchy-feely, you know, awesome. And it will have that, but it will have all of love because John has all of that. Okay, third reason he writes this letter Is so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have eternal life. That's the objective truth. He is identifying that there are things going on that is making his dear children remember, that's what he says, my dear children, I want to keep you from sinning. This is his posture. Right? He loves these people. And so he's saying, they are not walking around like they're sure they're going to heaven. Like they're sure they have life after death. That death is just another birth for them, but they're not sure of that. That matters, church. That matters. Your whole experience of life, how you po- your posture as you walk through life is totally different when you know death's got nothing on you. It matters. It makes a difference. He knows it. We need to know it. If you've got questions about that, well, 1 John is for you. He's writing this for you. How do I know that? At the end of the book, he says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We're talking about confidence here. A God-given confidence. Head up, walk through this world know that you death has no the sting is not as bad for us because we know and notice this sad truth he is saying it that there are some who believe in the name of the son of God that don't know we're not talking about people in the world that don't know we're talking about people who believe in Jesus but that hasn't translated into confidence and that matters the strength with which you engage life, the strength with which you talk about Jesus, the strength with which you can confront and keep from sinning, the strength with which you can confront sin is tied to this. And He knows it. And so He wrote this book for you that speaks right into what we got into last week. When I had you, I asked you to raise your hand if you'd ever experienced a Christianity or been taught a Christianity that made you afraid that you haven't done enough, and a a lot of your hands went up. John says that's a problem. That's not a kingdom posture. And so he wrote this to help you know, to build up your confidence. So I'm excited for us to do that. So there's one more purpose that I want to finish here with, and it's the first one he mentions, actually, but I wanted to save it for last because I think this is most important and this kind of captures those first four verses and why he uses so many sensory words over and over. And John's purpose is for you to have an experiential relationship with God, to really experience actual God contact, to experience and maintain God contact in your life. I cannot, this purpose right here of John really reflects, for me, my purpose for what I do with my life. From standing here to being in ministry is I want you, before I die, I would like to pass on to my dear children, my kids, that they have the ability and capacity to live in contact with God. To actually experience intimate and real fellowship. Not academic understanding that it's available, real and practical experience in fellowship with God. He says it. We've already read this, but I'll put it up here again. I write these things to you. I'm sorry, that's not it. It's, it's a little later. I have lost my place. There it is. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Again, he's saying that Experienced so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So, most people, when we read this text, we, we think what he's saying there is, we proclaim this to what we have seen and heard in relationship, actual God contact with Jesus while He was here, so that you'll have fellowship with us. That's what this reads like to us, right? It feels like he's saying... I want you to know all this so that we can be in fellowship. But that's not what he's talking about, not here. He gets into that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He defines the fellowship he's talking about. He's talking about the fellowship that he wants you to have with us is the fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. See it? He defines it. It's like if I said, hey, I've got this bag of Doritos, and I want you to come over, and I want you to have Doritos with me. We will both be eating Doritos. The point isn't, in this instance, you know, you have a Dorito so we can be friends. The point is for you to have the Dorito, and we're going to do that together. He's saying, I have this long-standing experiential relationship with Jesus and God, fellowship with God, intimate community with God, God came down here and I've said it eight times in these four verses John says I've seen him I've looked at him I've touched him I've felt him and I've told you that over and over again I have fellowship with God and Jesus and I want you to have that fellowship with us and it is so important to him and it should be important to us as we go out to be a light into the world that's what we're delivering not just academic knowledge about God listen There is a lot of stuff to learn about God that is awesome. You know I think that. I'm telling you that all the time. There is stuff that is life-changing. If you know it, it can change your life, your perspective, your approach to everything. And a ton of it is in here. But John is saying it's got to go beyond knowledge to actual, real, life-on-life contact experience. Of who we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you. This is how. The other three purposes. He wants to accomplish will happen. You're not going to have complete joy. Unless you have actual God contact. Fueling that. That you maintain and experience. You can't. What's the next one correct? Sorry. You You can't stop sinning. Or even keep from sinning when it encroaches on you. If you don't have we sing about it he's the most beautiful thing we sing about it in one of those songs and that hit this one hit me that's why we sin is cuz we're looking for life and beauty in the wrong places if you are experiencing the most beautiful thing it'll keep you from sinning and he wants you to know you cannot have confidence that you are going to be with god unless you maintain contact with that god It is knowing him, experiencing him through Jesus that accomplishes all of the purposes here. This is the source. This is what we're gonna be studying this summer. And I'm thrilled. So let me, just before I finish up, let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and stand up and they're just gonna move around the room here and they do this, we do this. If you're a guest, they do this just to identify themselves to you. If you're needing a touch today, if you wanna know more about this Jesus that we're talking about, If you've got a a prayer request that you need or anything you need, just if you need a personal touch, these are our shepherds and ministers and their families, and uh, that's why they do this. So listen, church. You knowing about God and Jesus is great, but you really, you need to know him. This is the source. John wants you to have actual God contact. I want you to have actual God contact. That's what, that is what, will keep us full of joy, completely confident, and able to live a life that conquers sin. John says he had it. And like my Aunt just she just really, before she passed away, she just really wanted to get these things that she thought would benefit me out. I believe that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a, a father in the faith who didn't just have a sermon to preach. He loved these people. And he wanted them to have this. Isn't it great to have somebody that's that committed to your joy? You have that with this God. If you've never experienced actual God contact, you're not, I won't make you raise your hands this week, but you're not alone. Most of us have been raised in a church experience that has been knowledge oriented. And we can say we know about him, and we will often confuse knowing about him with knowing him. But I'm telling you, there is more available to you. Do you want to see him? Touch him? Look at him? Know him? He's the most famous person in the world and the most worthy of knowing. And will bring you life. Not just in this life, but for eternity. If you want to get to know him, join us this summer. Join us this summer. Whether it's online or here in person. And if we can give you any kind of Just personal contact. That's why we're standing around the room. Let's stand and let's sing to this great and loving God.